Hi, this is Jason Lee, pastor at Casper Alliance Church. St- thanks for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast. This is week seven of our fall series on the book of Revelation. We're, uh, today we talk about knowing your enemy and understanding your enemy. We're in Revelation 11 and 12. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to support Casper Alliance Church or follow along at Casper Alliance Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com. Or you can go to your app store on your mobile device or your tablet, search for Casper Alliance Church, look for the double C's, download the app, and you'll be connected with us right away. Hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening. I don't know how other guys do this that are, are pastors or preachers or people that come up and talk every Sunday morning. I assume a lot of them have like a whole kind of framework of what they're going to say. And I'm, I may be just like, my brain is always empty until I get right here. Every single time. And then I just, it's just important. I, yeah, it's a great word. I launch. Launch is a great word. Uh, but this morning I thought about this. This is the text that we're going to read this morning. And to give, uh, the, I heard a sermon a couple years ago on this text, and it, this is what kind of inspired me and got me excited about preaching through Revelation. And so this morning, um, the text that we're going to read from Revelation 12, the entirety of it, is one of those things that like, I've been thinking about, and not that it's going to come out any better, but I've been thinking about it because it's the thing that actually fires me up and gets me excited. And I've talked about it quite a bit as a church. Uh, that I, well, I want to fight back a little bit. I want to punch back against darkness. Um, it's really fascinating. Again, I'm a consumer of church. I, I, there's been people in my past who have called me an ecclesiologist, which is like a, 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 a person who loves and studies the church. I, I consume a lot of church, like just things, habits, behaviors, preaching, because I, 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 ju- I enjoy the church. And it's because, and so you need to understand this from my my perspective and how I lead our church. I've said it a bunch, but I'm going to say it again. I think the church, so theologically, I guess you're going to have to, this is where I'm coming from, from a perspective. The church is the vehicle by which the good news of Jesus Christ hits the planet. The planet is where you live, the earth. Now, regardless of if we're sitting in Wyoming, and I'll just use my locations that I've lived, whether Wyoming or Iowa or Michigan, or Minnesota, or Nebraska, or California, the good news comes forth from the church. The church is the the vessel by which God has said, I'm using this, this is my thing. This is my design, this is my creation, This this is the bride of Christ that I'm going to use. Now, that's my location. Now, if we all were to take our own locations where we've lived, we can, we might hit 30 or 40 states, we could hit multiple countries, but my point is, is the church is, is not just us, and that's why we actively pray for our churches, and I, you know what makes me excited? I start to hear that in the language of our prayer life here at the church, in other places where I'm not involved, where we're praying for our churches here in town, and we're praying for the good news of Jesus to go out, not just from this place, right? We don't, we don't have a proprietary uh, gospel. We might have a proprietary way in which we do ministry or a methodology, that's not gospel. That's just how we practice what we preach. But the good news is a global movement from the beginning of Jesus' launch. And so, but even if we want to go back further, which we can see and we'll, we can tie all this together really well, since Genesis, the good news of Jesus has been proclaimed that it's coming, the Messiah is coming. There's going to be one who fights the serpent and wins. 
That's what gets me excited about what we're going to read this morning. And this is why I get excited about the church in general being this vehicle by which Jesus is proclaimed. So it doesn't matter if, it, if you do it like us, which is, you know, charming. <laughs> or... <laughs> We had, okay, I'm going to tell a story about, they're not here this morning, so I can talk about it. So <laughs> we had a family move here from an Alliance church, because I pray for Alliance families to move across the country to come here, uh, just because I don't want to steal from other churches. I want our own new people, and I want people to move here <laughs> from other places <laughs> and go, yeah, we can see past all of this stuff and you, and, <laughs> and we love what you're doing. Okay, so we have this family that moved from California. And, and the husband says to me, there's a lot of kids here. I go, yeah, it's really cool. And he goes, I go, it's really exciting, isn't it? He goes, well, it's charming. <laughs> like, it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You know, it's kind of, it's like, hey, there's a bunch of people that are like lower than waist high running around here. You either need to dodge them or just put a knee into a face. That's not permission. That's not permission. <laughs> but like, but, but the word was charming. And so then there's like this whole like, is that good or bad? Are you saying? And, and I'm going, I don't know if I like that. I want it to be exciting. And you're like, well, okay. How do we, how do we, but we're charming, right? So you come in and we're like, we're in a school and the, the parking lot has, has uh, holes in it and somebody's hurt themselves tripping in one of the holes. And like, we have things that like we're growing. But Lynn, if you've been here in this church space and, and for, at Casper Alliance Church for, for 20 years, you see what's happening, right? And it's not because of me. It's because the good news of Jesus Christ is being talked about every single Sunday. Every Sunday. And so because of that, there's a, there's a, there's a fueling that happens. And we're not, again, this isn't proprietary to us. This is the church at large. Everybody can have the keys to the kingdom. Everybody can put the equation together. Talk about the cross, talk about Jesus, talk about repentance, talk about sin, talk about heaven, talk about hell, and let's preach Jesus every single Sunday. So when I read this passage, this is, is like we're going through Revelation, because here's what happens. When we, in most places, when you, get, when you hear Revelation being taught, I'm telling you, I joked about it, there's whiteboards behind you, and there's charts and graphs and hands out, handouts every Sunday, and there's all sorts of mapping and like connecting to this, and I, I see it, like, but see it very minimally because I'm on purpose. I want to have blinders to focus on what the mission, what the story of Revelation is all about. Not about all the, the confirmation bias that I can connect to everything else. But I haven't preached Revelation from a fear perspective yet. And I'm not going to. This is the book that's supposed to charge up the church. This is the book that's supposed to encourage the church. This is the book that's supposed to make the church go, ooh, a little bit Satan. I'm ready to scrap. One of my favorite things, I've talked about this before, I love the UFC. I love, I didn't realize I would like it as much as I did. And I, at first, when, I, when women were fighting each other, I was kind of uncomfortable with it. Now it is, you know, it's really awesome to just watch two people go into an octagon and just punch each other. There's, a, there's a, a beautiful violence to it. And, and you're like, it's, it's incredible because, because each person that enters the octagon isn't there by surprise. 
And they're not there by accident. It's not a person who just randomly ends up at an octagon and goes, I thought I was going to Wendy's. <laughs> and there's a guy across the stage or the mat that has gloves and is ready to knock you out. And you're like, no, 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 no. It's not that. It's two people that step into the cage and they're ready to punch each other and fight. Let me remind you what Revelation is about. This book was written to promote the sovereignty of God, to describe the opponent on the other side of the ring to us, Satan, and to describe the futility of Satan. This is supposed to promote the sense of Christ who's on our side on the other side of the ring. This is a book that's to remind us and to teach us and to show us that there is a fight, a cosmic battle that's currently taking place, that's going to continue to take place, that has already been taking place, and that we need to be engaged in it. This is to encourage us to stand up after the first round of battle and go to the second round. And after the second round of battle, to go to the third, and to the fourth, and to the fifth. Continue to persevere. And to focus on worship. Because that's what the book ultimately ends up being about, is worship. Those are the key purposes of this book, and I've said it every single time. But what reminds me the most is it, this is a combative and some of, this, some of it, doesn't, it doesn't resonate with us as a church being combative. But you're wrong. 100% wrong. Our mission here at Casper Alliance Church is fighting forward together through hope in Jesus Christ. Not my words. The board and the elders' word. It resonates so much with my soul. That's why I'm your pastor. God called us here to fight for you, to fight with you, and to talk about things that are hard to talk about. And to go, you know what, let's fight, let's get, let's scrap a little bit. And this is what, I heard somebody preach it, and I'm like, this is, we got to get there. Because this is about stepping into the ring and knowing, remember we talked last week? Knowing your enemy? Donald, did you just walk in here? I told a story about you earlier. <laughs> Everybody look at Donald, he's the one that called it charming. <laughs> If you're new here, I won't call you out until you've been here a year. <laughs> this is a part of stepping, this is what it's about. Last week I talked about knowing your enemy. Knowing who they are. What are you up against? What are we fighting against? That enemy is Satan. Well, this morning, we get to understand the tactics of our enemy. How great of a fight would it be I talk about this too. I'm, I love baseball, right? Remember, so the current manager of my favorite baseball team, the Detroit Tigers, is the former manager of the cheating Houston Astros. <laughs> and Houston Astros cheated, and they won a World Series because of it. They, they knew the pitches before. The, you know how easy it is to hit a baseball if you know what's coming? Now, they had the playbook. Now, I love that, that we have him as our guy because the Tigers are getting better, and hey, maybe they'll cheat a little bit, and we can win a World Series too. But when you know the playbook, when you know what's coming, you can hit harder, faster, and dodge way easier. This is the playbook. We know our enemy. Let's learn the tactics. Let me read this to you this morning. Revelation 12. Now remember, last week, 
we had these trumpets that were blown, and, and then the, the witnesses, well, the trumpets were the week before, and then the witnesses, these two guys, and we, we talked about it as like, it could be two physical people, or actual people, or it could be this, uh, the larger witness of the church, and like, hey, let's debate about it, it's interesting, but the key thing is, is that persecution's coming, and that the gospel is going to be preached well and hard, and the enemy wants to mock who, us as followers of Christ, so we need to know that he is our adversary, that he's coming after us. Now, the next step is like, what is he going to come after us with? And here's the tools. Let's listen to this. This is, a, this is a, I love this chapter. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Old Testament scholars, what's that from? Joseph's dream. Now here's a, here's a key thing. There's nothing in the book of Revelation, and I'm stealing this from somebody else. I'm steal, you want to ask me later, I will. There's nothing in the book of Revelation that hasn't already been said in Scripture. Nothing. When we add to it, we're doing the exact opposite of what the book says. Don't add to this. Everything in Revelation has already been said through Scripture. So why are we reading it with fear and anxiety and frustration and disappointment? We need to be reading it with this revealing of like what's going to happen or how we can fight in this fight that we've been invited to participate in. So then, she was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving, giving birth. What does that harken back to, Bible scholars? Yes. Then I witnessed in heaven in another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon, not today, Satan, right? And was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Okay, so what happens? Verse 1 through 6. This is, <clears throat> this is my opinion, and I think it's 50-50. This is... John getting a window. Remember, we talked about the windows. This is what's happening through this text. Is we got, this is like kind of the third window into what John is seeing. He saw the throne room of heaven in, in Revelation 4 and 5, where he saw worship and what was happening in heaven right now. The second, and remember, I stole this from somebody else. I can't remember who I referenced, but I stole this from someone else too. And the second window was all the tribulation, the seals and the trumpets. And this third window that we're getting a peek into is the reminder and the visual of the cosmic battle that's happening. And here's my opinion. This is, this is, just, this is a, a, a look into Satan falling from heaven. This is John seeing where the battle started. I saw this, a great dragon. He went after the child and he was cast from heaven with a third of the stars. Stars referring to, symbolically referring to what, you think? Angels. This is my opinion. I think, again, theologians are kind of 50-50 on it. But what happens here in verse 7 is a, a retelling and actually more depth into what's going on with the cosmic battle. In fact, it, it goes from the, the original fight 
the original beginning where Satan fell and became, uh, became the adversary to all creation to how it actually is beginning to play out with us. Now let's turn with me real quick just to give you kind of like a uh, Genesis chapter 3. Just to give us a, a little bit of um, picture into what I said about that everything has already been said. Ah, Genesis 3. I'm going to read a handful of scripture here. The serpent was in the, sh the shrewdest of wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the gar in the garden? Of course, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied. Put this in your mind. What is, what, what's he doing? What's the word that we use? He's deception. He's using deception. He's deceiving Eve. You won't die, replied the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit was looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were open and they were suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. You know, I, in my first ministry... We, in the nursery, they had a mural of Adam and Eve in fig leaves. And, you know, church people think that's cute. The reality is, it was a mural of sin and of shame. And So, hey, if we're going to paint nursery stuff, let's not do this one. <laughs> or, or let's not do the ark either, please. Um, Every day you have kids looking at this going, oh, Adam and Eve, fig leaves, they're not naked anymore. The moment they start, start to put on fig leaves, they create separation between them and, the, and God. The moment that happens, the moment sin enters into their life, they are separated. They have, no, now they experience what separation is, is what, what? Death. They're permanently separated from God. And we celebrate it with fig leaves. See, shame is, is a, the work of the devil. It's the work of Satan. Shame is a tool that God uses. It's a tactic. It's a deceiving tactic. And what it does, it, it, you feel accused. You feel, you feel like you're being accused of something. And the only reason, the only thing that you have to do is protect yourself and hide and cower or cover your nakedness. You begin to feel differently in front of the, the presence of God. Guilt is not a thing that the church needs to be promoting. Guilt leads to shame. Conviction is the thing that we should promote. Because Conviction leads to repentance. Repentance leads to connectivity with God. Restoration in relationship. There's a huge difference. Too many times we promote 
guilt and shame. In fact, sometimes we preach guilt. That's not what it is. Okay, verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord of God, Lord God walking around the garden. So they hid. That's the behavior of people who are sinful. They hide. From the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord called to the man, where are you? Like he didn't know. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. All of a sudden, I'm afraid because the relationship is different. The relationship has changed. The man replied, it was the woman that gave me, who gave, the woman who you gave me, who gave me the fruit and I ate it. The second sin is blame shifting. It's someone else's fault. It's not mine. Extreme responsibility causes repentance. When you take responsibility for your actions, you start to truly repent and turn. There's no more repeated behaviors. You stop blaming everybody else. The story keeps going. You guys know, but I'm going to keep reading it. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, I was the, I just read this, I know. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, catch this, the Lord God said to the serpent, the personified evil of the world which would be really interesting to see that this cosmic battle that started in Revelation 12 immediately landed here with the serpent in the garden. As part of, I mean, this is wild stuff. Because you have done this, serpent, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. I'm going to interpret that just a little bit for us. You are imprisoned here. You have no ability to go anywhere else. This now is your domain, serpent. You're stuck. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Revelation 12 is, is a picture into what's happening in Genesis chapter 3. The woman and the dragon. The dragon is the serpent. Now as we extrapolate even further, let's go down to verse 7. Then, you, then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, or the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with his angels. Get this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in heaven, we get a picture into the throne room. We see what's happening in heaven. But then all of a sudden, there's this cosmic heaven battle. And God says, you no longer belong here. I'm going to send you to the place that I created. I'm going to make your prison earth. And he was allowed to go to earth. Meaning, again, I said this a few weeks ago, God is so merciful, so loving, so kind, so generous to his creation that he gives Satan the opportunity to repent. How 
incredible is that to a God that we love and serve? That the most evil thing on cre- in creation is given opportunity. He could have just destroyed Satan right here and obliterated it. Give this evil, this deceiver, opportunity to, to go, I'm sorry. Take me back, Lord. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. And again, we get a picture of worship. This is what happens. This is a, this is, um, this is a, uh, a tool that the writers use to continue to remind the victorious Christ, the victorious Christ, that God is triumphant. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ, the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night and they have defeated Him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you will live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come to the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Verse 13, when the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she, has, she was given two wings, like those of the great eagle, so she could fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness. Who, who likes the Isaiah eagle's passage? Rise up. This is a, a harken back to that. There's a safety and a security, and God is going to give protection. I'll rise up like the eagle's wings, and I'll be protected. Again, nothing in Revelation is new in Scripture. It's all been talked about. The dragon tried to drown the woman with the flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening up its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. The rest of the woman's children, the bride of Christ, the rest of her children. Who is that now? Transition from this heavenly battle to a cosmic battle that belongs to us. Satan is making war with the church. War with the church. And the Scripture is clearly showing, and the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. All who kept God's commandments and maintained their testimony for Jesus. Then the dragon took a stand on the shore beside the sea. Now all through Scripture, again, the sea is referred to as evil. It's this place of darkness. The dark sea of darkness, guys. My favorite people who love that book. If you want to know, just ask me or the birds. They know what I'm talking about. But evil is personified again in Scripture through the sea. So, there's a, there's a picture that we have to get our whole hands on. We see that Jesus is victorious over evil, over the serpent. We see this in Genesis. Moses is writing and reminding people that there will be a battle. There is this evil that's happening. Sin has, has come into the world. The serpent is a deceiver, an accuser, and is going to remind you that you're dying. Regularly, that is a thing that is going to happen. And then the devil gets so frustrated, so angry, so annoyed that he's trapped here on earth, so disappointed that he's going to go, I'm going to make war with all of the children who are children of the son of the woman. So we have multiple references going on all at the same time. So the Messiah is the son. We have the church being the sons or the, the children of the Messiah. 
and we have our adversary, our enemy. We've stepped into the ring. Now what do we do about it? You follow with me on, on, on this so far? Everybody tracking? Okay. There's a thread from the beginning to the end of Scripture. That's why 2022 here at Castle Reliance Church, we're going to do a year of biblical literacy. And we're going to try to get our hands on understanding the Scriptures. Because this, this has so much for us to fight. This is the training manual to know how to do, you know, the, the scissor, overhand, punches, all that stuff, right? You can, you can, you'll be able to do suplexes and figure four leg locks if you're a WWE fan. If, uh, if you're a UFC guy, overhand rights and a bunch of uppercuts. We're going to do some knees to the face. But what this is, this is, this is the manual, the manual for us to fight. So, Know your enemy, the serpent, the devil, he's our enemy. Let's understand our enemy. What does the enemy do? First of all, the enemy is an accuser. The enemy accuses, makes you feel that guilt, that shame, makes you feel, and, and here's the deal. This is, I, I heard this a couple different times this week. You begin to believe the lies. You begin to believe all the garbage that's poured into your mind that, the, that you're being accused of, and you start to become your identity. Your identity is complete in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Not everything else that the world tells you that you are. And this is a problem because Satan is very good at accusing us of being this disgusting mess of a person. And that we'll never, we'll never be enough. And that's lies. And this is, this is the, the, the tool of Satan to where you become the person that you think you are. Uh, you know what? I don't have the time to read the Bible. I don't know how to pray. I don't, I don't know. I'm not really good with people. I don't have anything to share or say. I don't really, I'm not that friendly. I'm not, but I, I'm not that friendly. I don't know how to talk to my neighbors. I, and you become that to where we... If you do that to a billion people in the church, what does the church look like? A shell of what God's called it to be. Satan is an accuser and will tell you everything to make you freeze and to believe all the garbage. You're naked. You better put some clothes on. Now there's some people out there that need to put some clothes on, right? But like, but Satan's reminding us, that we're, we're fallen, that we're a mess, that, we, that we've, we've screwed up, so we continue to believe all that garbage. We continue to live in that garbage, and we it's like a pig in slop saying, this is who I am. This is, I guess this is the way God made me. I guess I'm just a, uh, that's wrong. It's false. And the longer you live in that space, the less productive in the kingdom of God you are. And that's why as a church family, we're like, we're fighting forward together with you. We want to tell you that there is a victorious experience in Jesus Christ. And you don't have to be the way that you think you are. You get to be who Jesus has called you to be. And you get to live that out daily in power and authority and with conviction and life to pursue the people around you to show them what Jesus has done in your life. This is the tool of Satan to accuse you that you're awful. And you're not. Jesus died for each and every one of us in this room. And everyone on this planet, and everybody who's lived, 
and everybody who will continue to live, and the babies that were going to be born, Jesus died for them as well. We cannot, we cannot buy into this accusation that we're flawed or we're messed up. We need to own our sin and repent and turn from it. But we only get to turn because Jesus did the work for us. The victorious Christ gave us freedom over the garbage that consumes us. So know the tactics of the evil one. He's trying to accuse you of all your problems. And it's wrong, so it's time. It's time that we fight back. It's time that we use what we know to fight back to punch back, to hit back just a little bit. Because I don't think we have to wallow in it anymore. That's what gets me excited about this. We get to see the story of Satan falling. We get to know that he's, he's imprisoned here. He's on his last legs. This is like round five of the title fight. And we're in there. We've been invited to be in there. And he's beaten bad. And what's a beaten animal going to do? He's going to try with his last-ditch effort to tear us down, to divide us, to make us tribal, to begin to yell at one another. The Democrats aren't the problem. It's sin. It's the accuser. Stop saying that they're the problem. Because you know what? Jesus died for them as well. And we have to stop using the same tactics that Satan uses, we just become like that. That's why you have fractured churches all across the planet. When persecution comes, real persecution, not masks and vaccine mandates, which are weird, I get it, We're the, I'm with you. But when real persecution, when they grab Antipas from Revelation chapter, what are we, two this morning? Two, and they drag him out, and he's the leader, and they shoot him in the head in their streets. And they say, you no longer have ministry here. That's persecution. And a church will not stand up well to that. We have to be able to fight back. So no, accusations coming. That's not who you are. You're not who you're accused of being. You're victorious in Jesus because he died for you. Satan's a liar. Deceit. Goes with accusation. He's a lie. He's going to lie, lie, lie. He's going to tell you that, again, accuse you that you're not who, you, who Jesus says you are. And you're, he's going to continue to feed lies to you, to fill you with nonsense and garbage. John 8, 44. Turn me really quick, one verse. But it's Jesus talking regularly about what's going on, about the division, unbelief, the woman caught in adultery, the, the, the story of Christ. And he drops this in here on, uh, on John 8, 44. Ah, oh, this book, chapter's long and I didn't have my page mark, sorry. For you are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan will lie and try to deceive you. You have to be able to... To stop asking the what-if questions. I mean, think about all the what-if questions in our history. You know, what if... And I might offend some of you in this room. What if it is okay to be gender neutral? What, what, if, what if it is okay to have abortion because of rape and incest? What if same-sex attraction is okay? The what-if questions are getting more and more pervasive into the church. To where we're 
entertaining those questions. Instead of living in truth, instead of drawing the line in the sand, and I know it's hard, and we have to navigate some of those things from a very loving and gracious place, but you can understand that the, the, the perversion of this world, the culture of this world, is grabbing a hold of the church, and it's invading it. And we have to fight back against that. The what if questions have happened from the beginning of time. And it, like, what if, it, what if the tree isn't that bad? Like, what if this fruit really tastes really good? What if you won't die? What if this is all just pretend? What if we're actually living in a construct? What if this really is the matrix? <laughs> we just continue to ask these what if questions. And eventually spiral, spiral to this place to where we're no longer anywhere near Jesus. And I'm not saying like we can tackle the Wyoming what if questions are different than the, than the Chicago what if questions. And the Chicago what if questions are different than the, than the Albuquerque what if questions. And the Albuquerque are different than Mexico City and on and on and on and on and on. Right? But it's still when we begin to entertain these things and go, eh. Now it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be thinking and that we shouldn't be understanding and we shouldn't be gracious and loving and engage in a way to where we can continue to teach truth. But you understand, father of lies will deceive the church and put it on a trajectory far, far away. And we have to fight back against that. So the picture in, in uh, Revelation and all through Scripture, this word, and we're going to talk about this a lot over the next year, Babylon. Babylon is the world's construct. And God's people were always supposed to be against Babylon, to live differently than they lived in Babylon. I heard this phrase, we need to thrive while we're in exile, not die while we're in exile. We're in exile right now, waiting for the glorious appearing of Christ. But we're supposed to thrive right now, not just wither. Thriving means punching back a little bit. Last little point here. This is the hardest one, I think. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. The movement of the church, the work of Satan, knowing the tactics of our enemy is oftentimes quenched because of our fear of death. I'm scared of dying too, a little bit. I don't want to be I don't want, it's not mostly pain related, I think. I don't want to drown or be lit on fire. That's not funny. Stop laughing. <laughs> but, but this fear of death and this, this worry, I think, causes the church to pause over and over again. I think it's completely human. I think it's completely human to go, uh, what happens? I mean, that's why I've prayed to receive Christ probably 14,000 times in my life. There's a security that we have in knowing Christ and the salvation that comes. And the scripture shows us. Verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's talking, reminding the, Corinth, the church in Corinth that, hey, I understand. You guys are worried about this too. I kind of am too. 
What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. He's like, hard pause. What you're doing right now doesn't really matter. The soul, the soul is what gets to inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, well, that, I have more questions. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That's a thing, that's a, that's a song that we need to be like excited about. Where is your victory, death? You don't have anything on me. You know how easy it is to punch back at evil when you know that regardless of what happens, you will be transformed into an eternal soul that is singing the praises of Lord Almighty forever and ever, amen? That's what life looks like. And when you can charge into the ring, ready to fight like that, ready to swing in that kind of spirit to say, death, you got nothing on me, I get to live forever because Jesus died for me and I'll be transformed into this new thing. That's power to live differently. For sin is this thing that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. The tactics of our enemy is to remind us that we're going to die. And I think the important part of the church is to say, so what? Bring it. Bring it. When all of these things, man, when all of these things line up, it puts the church to sleep. And God help us to have pastors out there who are asleep. And that's critical of pastors, I know. But man, we don't need any sleepy pastors. We need to wake up. One last text. Okay. Know and understand the enemy. He's an accuser. He's a deceiver. He's going to remind you that you will die. But we have no confidence in that. We have confidence in Christ. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? We have victory in Christ over sin. We need to wake up. Now, how does this happen? Okay. I'm going to read. Uh, turn with me to Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. Listen to my people, all who hope for deliverance, all who seek the Lord. Consider the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were mined. Yes, think about Abraham, your ancestor, and Sarah who gave birth to your nation. Abraham was only one man when we called him, but when I blessed him, he became a great nation. The Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins, her desert will blossom like Eden, her barren wilderness like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found there. Songs of thanksgiving will fill the air. Listen to my people. Hear me, Israel. For my law will be proclaimed and my justice will become a light to the nations. My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to the nations. 
All distant lands will look to me and will hope for my powerful arm. Look up to the skies above and gaze down on the earth below. For the skies will disappear like smoke and the earth will wear out like a piece of clothing. And people of the earth will die like flies. But my salvation lasts forever. My righteous rule will never end. That's a praise and salvation message that we get to grab a hold of and say, no matter what happens to this earth, we are part of this people. Okay, so how does this happen? The church was created for such a time as this. The church was created for now. This isn't a wait and see and let's hope that we get out of here. And I hope that the, the preachers across the planet who are preaching Revelation right now, because there's a lot of them, do not say, well, it's going to get bad and then we're going to be raptured out. The church is here now to be in the ring fighting fighting. Your belief needs to turn to transformation. It's not enough anymore for me to just go, hey, as long as you believe in God, we're all good. Worship team, if you'd come up, we're going to sing a closing song. I have one last thing, and then we're done. Your belief needs to lead to transformation. Not just like, oh, I feel it on the inside, but true behavioral transformation to where you're different because of it. And you're living different because of it. And that can take shape in all of our lives very differently. But it's not just belief. It needs to lead to something. And then this is where I think we're, we're going to be on this, um, on this track, this journey for the next, you know, I don't know, until we're done on that track, until the train arrives at the station. We need to be committed to fervent discipleship. And that looks different for a lot of different people, I think. But here's the deal. For us at Casper Alliance Church, we believe there's kind of a three-prong attack. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but we believe that God's designed you perfectly for something. We believe that you've been given some strengths to achieve those somethings. And we believe the closer you are to the Lord by practicing spiritual disciplines, there'll be this up into the right. You'll have a consistent growth up into the right, up into the right. That's discipleship. And when you bring all that together, you will be passionate about how God's wired you, how he's called you, and the purpose he has for you. You won't just kind of go, eh, let's go to church. Going to church isn't enough. There's a million people who are just sitting in churches. Whitewashed tombs, Jesus said. One last thing. Kids, plug your ears. Benjamin, do this. Wake up! The church needs to wake up into the fight. All right? Let's stand and sing.